And what I'm going to be talking about is uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 to 28. And Paul writes, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by His blood, effective through faith. He did this to show His righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that He Himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Thus ends the reading. Again, uh, keep this open. We're going to talk about it today. Um, And... Actually, let me start with my blessing. My dearest siblings, grace and peace to you from God in whom we live and move and have our being. Amen. Um, so today is going to be a bit of a repeat sermon. It's, it's kind of um, going to allude to a sermon I gave when we were doing our outdoor service. And I'm not one to do repeat sermons. Um, I actually don't even save my sermons, so it's, it's pretty impossible for me to do repeat sermons. Uh, But the reason I'm doing this one again is because it's so important. This is fundamental to our faith as Christians, what I'm about to talk about. Um, Also because today is Reformation and Halloween, and because you get kind of crazy on Halloween, and because Martin Luther got crazy for Reformation, we're going to get a little crazy today, all right? Are you ready? Are you sure? All right. You don't sound like it. Um. And before I get into the text, I want to just back up a little bit. We're talking about Reformation Sunday. In order to talk about Reformation Sunday, we have to talk about Martin Luther. And the story of Martin Luther is that he was an Augustinian monk, and he was very good at being a monk. He was a very good Catholic. He did everything right as a good Catholic. Yet, Martin Luther was still tortured by his faith. The reason was that No matter how good of a Catholic Martin Luther was, he knew that everything he was doing was for self-centered reasons. He was doing it to avoid hell, avoid punishment. And he knew that that was selfish. It was self-centered. It wasn't for the glory of God. It wasn't for the sake of others. And so he thought that no matter how good he did, he was still going to go to hell. And he was tormented by his faith until... He read this text in Romans today. And it was this text that Martin Luther realized he is saved by God's grace through his faith in Jesus Christ. 
He didn't need to torture himself anymore. He didn't need to worry about the things he was doing being these things to save him from eternal damnation because he was already saved by God's grace through his faith in Jesus Christ. And because this grace came through faith and not anything that the Catholic Church at the time was doing or was telling their congregants to do, when indulgences came out to start paying for St. Peter's, Peter's Basilica renovations, Martin Luther was furious. He felt that this took away from God's grace. This text was the foundation of the Protestant Reformation. It was the foundation of Martin Luther writing his 95 Theses. It was the foundation of him eventually splitting from the Catholic Church and starting the Protestant faith. This text right here, this powerful text that I read. There's just one problem. There's a big mistranslation. A big one. And it's only one little word. And the thing is that Martin Luther wasn't aware of the mistranslation. In fact, when he translated the Bible into German, and when that spread throughout all over the world, when the Bible started getting translated into other languages, they used Martin Luther's German for those translations, this mistranslation stuck with it. This mistranslation has been part of our Bibles for 1,600 years. So this next part is going to be a little heady. I'm going to get into the nitty-gritties of this. I'm going to try to do this slowly and clearly because it is going to get a bit technical, okay? And I apologize. I ask you to bear with me, but it is meaningful. So um, ancient Greek does not have prepositions. That's the first part we need to realize, okay? Following here? Ancient Greek does not have prepositions. It does not have words like of, in, on, around, through. Those do not exist in ancient Greek. Rather than having prepositions, nouns in Greek have different suffixes. They have different endings to each of those nouns that correlate with the prepositions that should be used. Now, one of those suffixes is called the genitive suffix. That's all you need to know. And the only thing you need to know about the genitive suffix is that it means that the noun in which it is on is subjective. It means that that noun is the subject of that phrase. And, and this is why I want you to use your book because I'm going to show you an example right here in our text that makes this point. So if you look in your book on verse 22 of what we read, this is Romans chapter 3 verse 22. For those of you that have trouble reading because I know that this print is really small, just try to listen. So right here, right at the beginning of verse 22, it says the righteousness of God. So God, right there, is a genitive noun. God is the subject in that phrase. And when I say God is the subject, what I mean is that whose righteousness is this phrase referring to? It is referring to God's righteousness. That's what it means for God to be the subject of that phrase. It is God's righteousness. Now, God in Greek is the word theos. But if we look at the Greek in this part of the New Testament, it's not spelled theos, it's spelled theou. It, thank you, Vesper. She said, oh, that's what I was looking for. Yeah. It doesn't say theos, it says theou. 
because it's a genitive noun, and that ending, the O-U, they-U, means that it's genitive. It means that it's talking about the righteousness of God. Like I said, there's no prepositions. The word of does not exist in ancient Greek. And so what this says in Greek is, wrote it down in case I didn't remember, which I'm not remembering right now, dikaiosene theou. Dikaiosene is the Greek word for righteousness. Dikaiosene theou means righteousness of God. That little preposition right there, of, is monumental. The righteousness of God. The reason it's monumental, if we continue in this very same sentence, it says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The problem is, when we look at Jesus Christ in this part of the New Testament, in the original Greek, it has the same exact ending as God does. Yesu Christu. Meaning that Jesus Christ is subjective. Meaning that it's not supposed to be faith in Jesus Christ. What it's originally supposed to be is the faith of Jesus Christ. Faith belongs to Jesus in this sentence. Jesus is the subject. Now think about that for a second. Now we might not detect that right away. We're talking about two letters here. One word. This sentence again, the righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ. Then it continues on, for all who believe. Now, another important note for our sermon today, anytime you read the word believe in the New Testament, that is a very poor translation. Believe is a, a terrible translation. What it should say is for all who are faithful. Belief is more intellectual. I've talked about this in sermons before. It's not so much about intellect. It's more about follow-through. It's more about devotion. So this, this verse, the righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who are faithful. Now, that's what the original Greek says. However, it's been translated for 1,600 years to say faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that might seem small, but I want you to consider this sentence real quick. What Paul's saying here is that that God's righteousness is being revealed to all the Gentiles. God's righteousness has already been revealed to all of the Jewish people through the covenant with Abraham. But now, because of Jesus, God's righteousness is being revealed to everybody else. Meaning everyone else is going to attain God's righteousness. Everyone else is going to uh, be declared righteous by God. And how are they going to get this righteousness? What we've all grown up with is that you have this righteousness through your faith in Jesus. When we read it this way, human beings are at the centerpiece of this. It has nothing to do with what God does. It has nothing to do with what Jesus does. It has everything to do with what you do. It is your faith, your belief, your acceptance in Jesus that gets you God's righteousness. But that's not what the sentence is saying, is it? Rather, it's saying that God's righteousness is being revealed through the faith of Jesus. 
Jesus is the centerpiece for Paul. And when we look at all of Paul's writings, when we look at Paul's theology, it's always consistent. Jesus is everything for Paul. Jesus is always at the center of Paul. Always. And so, so Paul is saying here that God's righteousness has been revealed for all of the Gentiles through the faith of Jesus. Through Jesus' faithfulness going to the cross. Through Jesus' faithfulness in living out his relationship with God through loving others, through caring for others, through taking care of the least of these, through being so devoted to God that he was willing to go to his death. God's righteousness has been revealed through the faith of Jesus. Not through what we do, but through what Jesus does. And then as I said, it ends for all those who are faithful. Not all those who believe, not all those who intellectually accept, but all those who are also devoted to this way of life. It's a powerful sentence, folks. This is a powerful mistranslation. Now you might be asking yourself, how? How could this happen? How could this happen for 1,600 years? I could talk about this for about an hour. I'm going to save you that. I'm just going to say this. The very first language that the Bible was translated into outside of its original language was Latin. St. Jerome was the one who did this. We don't know why. For some reason, he translated the Latin to say faith in Jesus Christ. And then his Latin text became the basis for all translations moving forward. Martin Luther was pretty good at Greek, but he wasn't great. And so when Martin Luther got to this part of the translation, instead of really understanding the different suffixes that Greek nouns could have, he just went to Jerome's Latin Vulgate, looked at what Jerome did, and he included it in his German. And then his German became the basis for translations moving forward after that. And other people, when they looked, they just saw what Martin Luther did, faith in Jesus Christ. It has stuck. It has stuck for 1,600 years. And we might, again, we might think this is small. It's just one little word. But the implications are massive. And I want to consider those implications for a second because these are two completely different statements based on this one little preposition. Now, if we were to take it as we have always done, as we have been raised with, if we look at this as faith in, then again, the centerpiece is our belief in God. The work of the church is not about compassion, it's not about caring for people, it's about going out there and trying to get as many people as possible to believe in God. That becomes the primary work of the church if we look at this translation as faith in. And honestly, that's what the church has been doing for about 1,600 years. It has been aggressively trying to get more and more and more people to believe in God. At its best, we've seen this lead to very exclusionary us versus them theology. It's about us, those who believe in God, versus them, those who don't believe in God. But at its worst, it's led to violent conversions of indigenous people, of people of different faiths. It's led to tremendous atrocities. In fact, when we look at, at the ugly history of the church, it is this theology at the center of it, because of one little preposition. 
But if we switch that, if we look at it as the Greek, the original Greek has it, as the faith of Jesus, Jesus becomes the centerpiece of this. And not just Jesus, but his life, his ministry, his words, his deeds. Everything he lived for, stood for, died for, all of that begins to shine with a new light. All of that becomes the centerpiece of our faith as Christians and our work as the church. The church suddenly becomes focused on modeling the way of life of Jesus rather than trying to get people to just believe in Jesus. I mean, think about this. The church has been around for 2,000 years. Right now it has 1.7 billion followers. But in those 2,000 years, it's probably had a billion more. Imagine a world over the last 1,600 years where this had been translated the right way. Imagine if Jerome had written in that Latin, the faith of Jesus. Imagine a church for 1,600 years with billions of followers dedicated to modeling the way of life of Jesus, modeling Jesus' actions, words, deeds, messages, love, compassion, justice, care for the least of these. Imagine how this would have transformed the world today if this one little preposition would have been translated differently. Folks, we are Lutheran. Every year we talk about the Reformation. Every year we say it's coming again. This is it. This is the Reformation. The Reformation today is a church that focuses itself in modeling the way of life of Jesus rather than succumbing to simply the belief in Jesus. When we look at statistics and data that show people leaving the church in droves and they ask them, why are you doing it? It's not because they don't believe in God. It's because they're tired of a church that professes belief in God but doesn't follow through with the way of life that models Jesus. But I don't want that to disappoint you entirely because truth is, there is amazing work in ministry happening all the time by churches, by people who do center themselves in this, by people who center themselves in trying to live out the way of life of Jesus rather than just trying to convert people. And I want to share happily that I, I very much think Bethania is one of those churches. I think that we are a church that centers itself in trying to act like Jesus, in simply trying to love and care for others. I think our food distribution is an incredible, incredible testament to that. Now, I, I call this the biggest mistranslation in Christianity. That's my sermon title today. Because this theology is the foundation of Christianity. Theologically, we've gotten this wrong for so, so long. But you know what? That's okay. There's nothing we can do about the past. My hope is that this can just fill us up today, and obviously we can do something about the future. For many of us in this room, we have been modeling the faithfulness of Christ in our lives for a very long time. We just didn't know how central it was to our theology. 
Every act of love, every act of compassion, every act of justice, every act of, of care for the least of these that each of you does every day in your life, you have been centering yourself in the faithfulness of Jesus, exactly what Paul is calling each and every one of us to do. My hope for us today is that you realize how important that is. My hope for us today is that this creates a reformation within each and every one of you. I hope you realize that this is exactly what our faith is about. To realize that, that Scripture, that Jesus, that God, it's all been simply pointing us to God's love for all of us, for all of humanity, for all of creation. And all, all God is trying to do is simply call us to love others the same way that Jesus loves us. Amen.